That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnikin. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks for taking the next hour to spend with me as we talk about topics that maybe, you know, maybe we engage in from time to time, but maybe not in the same way, same depth. Maybe getting, maybe in this show we'll get under some of those stories a little bit. Uh, whatever the case, uh, I hope, if I'm going to have an audacious title like This Show is All About You, you'll be able to <laughs> see what I mean by that because these are the things that we all have in common. Really happy to have you here. If you miss any of this episode or would like to catch up on others, remember you can always get this show wherever you get your podcast. That's the wonderful thing about this medium. It's available anywhere, anytime for you. You can also find out more about me at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, my last name. You'll find me rather easily. Would love to connect with you, hear what you think about the show, some ideas for future shows, and really just connect, because in the end, that's not only what this show is all about, but I think deep down is what we all want to be about. So uh, welcome again to you. Happy Easter, Passover, to those of you who celebrate that just over the weekend. And uh, moving forward here into spring, there's a lot going on. Today's story is going to be a more personal one, uh, but before we get to that, let's start where we always start by taking a look back at the notable moments in the past week's news in the segment I call What in the World is Going On? As the U.S. arms and trains Ukraine ahead of its expected spring offensive, documents containing details of the buildup appeared on social media. One, titled Status of the Conflict as of 1 March, is marked top secret and appears to be a daily update provided to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Is this just embarrassing or does it do real damage to the cause of defeating Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Well, of course, you could say the answer is both. <laughs> both embarrassing and a problem. And that's really the entire point of whoever released these documents and to whatever degree they were authentic and or doctored. That whole story that kind of broke over the weekend was about a series of top secret documents about U.S. assessments of what's going on in Ukraine that on some level, experts have said some of it might actually be factual and therefore it is a it is a breach and a significant breach of U.S. intelligence. Other parts of it, experts also say, appear to be openly doctored uh, by the Russians as a way to throw shade, cast doubt upon America's support for Ukraine and the degree to which Ukraine is doing well in the war. Things like the casualty counts being completely flipped, right? Uh, these documents supposedly say that are being attributed to the Americans that not a whole lot of Russians have died, but a whole lot of Ukrainians have died. Well, that, that, that fits the Russian version of events. And so chances are there's a mixture of things. Clearly, some documents got out. Certainly, some people in Russia seem to have gotten their hands on them and, and therefore have put them out. That by itself, regardless of whether people believe it or not, is a significant enough story. But let's, let's keep in mind what this is meant to do. 
it's not really meant to convince people one way or the other on this. It's meant to cast doubt. And it's meant to divide the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian authorities from their American counterparts, that support, and to cause strain and have them talking about things that have anything, anything but to do with how well combat is going for Ukraine and all their plans. It's, it's, it's a classic part of what intelligence services do, not just to find information, but also to distract and to complicate and to keep sides, particularly sides that are cooperating well, as the Ukraine, as Ukraine and the United States have so far, to distract them from continuing to have a positive relationship like that. So it's hard. It's, no one's ever really going to know, certainly the public's not going to really know in the end, how much of that percentage is quote-unquote accurate, how much of it isn't. But the point is, whoever put it out there was clearly trying to drive a wedge between U.S. and its NATO allies on one side and what's happening with Ukraine. The degree to which both sides understand that, the Ukrainian side and their allied side, appears to be they all understand that these aren't necessarily the worst things to be, to be put out there, or at least they're able to believe that they aren't, uh, they aren't factual. But it is a distraction at a time when Ukraine is really trying to pull everything together to mount this big hoped-for spring offensive that will be coming. And it will be coming, and uh, believe me, we're going to be talking about it on this show, and you're not going to be able to escape it in the news, because when it does come, uh, one way or the other, it is going to be significant. Meanwhile, closer to home last week, something very, very disquieting and similarly indicative of something that maybe we all need to pay closer attention to. Mr. Clerk, take the vote. I-72, 25 nays. Having received the concurrence of two-thirds of the members to which the House is entitled under Constitution of the State of Tennessee, House Resolution 65 is hereby adopted without objection and motion to reconsider his table. Pursuant to Article 2, Section 12 of the Constitution of the State of Tennessee, I hereby declare Representative Justin Jones of the 57th Representative District expelled from the House of Representatives of the 113th Assembly of the State of Tennessee. If that sounded rushed <laughs> to you, it sounded rushed to me as well. That, of course, last week in Tennessee, what is a very disquieting episode, three uh, council members, actually two uh, legislators expelled from the legislature, I mean elected officials, elected by the people of Tennessee from their districts, kicked out of the state legislature because they took part in a protest on the legislature floor involving a number of school students and others following the, the uh, school shooting a couple of weeks ago. They were expelled, not censored, which was an option to be censored and just have that go into the record for that participation for, quote unquote, causing a disruption on the legislature floor. but. They were expelled, and the optics are terrible. Three people were brought up for a vote by the Republican supermajority that runs the Tennessee legislature. Three people were brought up to be expelled. The two that were expelled were people of color and were newer members of the legislature. The one who was not was not a person of color, a white woman. The, and we can go back and forth on all of this, and the debate has continued to rage ever since, right, around that. And a lot of the conversation has been, is the Tennessee legislature racist or is it not? And I get all of that. Those, those conversations should happen. What really stands out to me, though, underneath this is just how chilling of an idea this is. Just that this is possible, whoever has a supermajority, that instead of going through what is the really the established track of action, 
right? Just like you would in any place of employment. You have certain things that are beyond the pale, right, that involve you being dismissed from your job. What happened here was not in even the Tennessee legislature's bylaws does not represent something that they should have been expelled from the legislature for. That is the legislature overturning the will of the people in those districts in Tennessee on the basis of the fact that they didn't like how they behaved on the, on the legislature floor. They didn't start any fistfights. They didn't attack anybody. They didn't use abusive language. But instead, because they were calling attention to something, a protest, and taking part in that, that had these other legislators nervous and on the defensive, they didn't like it, and they used the nuclear option. Now, every state's legislature runs a little bit differently. So just because this happened in Tennessee does not necessarily mean it can happen in all 50 state legislatures. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But the very fact that it actually did happen, that is a possibility, shows the degree to which overreaction, overreach, and fear are coming to dominate so much among the political class in this country that when somebody does something that is quote-unquote out of the ordinary or in this case just makes other people uncomfortable, there's enough people willing to go along with this nuclear option rather than take a few deep breaths, have conversations with those people, which is what politicians are supposed to do, find some way forward with that that respects the will of the people even if those people chose somebody that these other legislators didn't like and move forward. To me, the big question is, is this indicative of some areas of illness in our democracy? Yeah, it is. Clearly it is. The degree to which that is widespread, who knows? But the very fact that we have to actually be having this conversation by itself is disquieting. And it's worth keeping an eye on because it's not going away. And those same Tennessee legislature, legislators who voted for this are definitely and have been on their heels ever since. So we will see what happens with all of this in the long run. Okay, just two things today because I wanted to have extended comments about both of them, uh, both of them very significant. And, and again, uh, I, I don't intend to start off the show every week by just talking about the bad news <laughs> in the world. And I do try to find fun stuff uh, on occasion. But it's the type of thing that we shouldn't, we shouldn't shy away from. And if you're brand new to the show, uh, first of all, welcome. Second, one of the things you'll pick up on really quick is I tend to cast very skeptical eyes on, at least right away, on what the standard narratives are on a certain event from no matter what direction it's coming from. Part of that comes from my old academic training where just simply questioning things is part of the process. And also, these things matter enough that I like to gather information, perspectives, take time to reflect, meditate on things before I start formulating my opinions on them rather than falling into the trap that is so much easier to fall into these days with social media of the pressure of having to have an opinion right away, well thought out, well defended, made public, and then defended within an inch of its life, even if it means tearing other people down in the process. I just prefer not to go there because that's part of this bigger problem, right? All of these things taken together is what's feeding actions like those taken by the Tennessee legislature last week. All these things get supercharged and super red hot over time. And I like to not 
respond to those things. But also, I think they're worth a little bit of a longer look than we often give them from one news report or one article that we happen to read or, or one, sh- one television show that we happen to uh, gravitate towards. All of these things demand more consideration than we usually are willing to give them in this immediate gratification, immediate opinion, and then argue uh, paradigm or dynamic that we find ourselves in. I would like to be a little different than that. And I would like all of us <laughs> to be a little bit more considered on that with the idea that on the other end of this, on the other end of these opinions, on the other end of these divisions, are other people, whether we agree with them or not. And as if somehow agreement intellectually means somehow we should, that's how we should decide whether or not they're valuable or not. So for me, I'd rather be part of a solution, (laughs) you know, or proposing a different way of evaluating these things and considering these things than what we get. So that's why I always lead with those types of things at the front end, because they are worth taking, they are worth being concerned about, they are worth paying attention to, and they are worth digging into by all of us. It's the same reason why I always follow up every week with a story that I hope reflects everything that I just put forward in a way that makes this more personal in a way that all of us can connect with. Hence, this show not just being about me, but about you. See how that all works? Um, anyway, let me introduce today's story as uh, we finish up with the news. Um, one of the things I love about doing this show is there are so many stories to choose from. <laughs> Sometimes I go into history and I tell a story from history. Other times, uh, you know, somebody shares a story with me that I'll share. And then sometimes they are personal stories. And I tend to go there quite a bit, not because I somehow think I have this incredibly interesting life compared to other people out there. My life is my life. Um, and I, I, I tried not to compare how internally I feel about my life with externally how others appear to be living theirs, right? I try not to do that. But I do enjoy my life, and I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm almost 50 years old, and I'm able to look back on my life and see a lot of the things that, um, that life can throw at anybody, and very unique to me, I suppose, in some ways, in the details. But not in the challenges and not in the successes, not in the high moments, not in the low moments. Those, those I've had just like anybody else. But I'm at this point in my life where I can look back and go, wow, there's a lot of things that I've learned from, and there's a lot of things I still have yet to do or have always wanted to do and haven't done yet or would like to try. And there's something about being at this age right in here, and, and I, I, can, I can speak for myself, but also for a number of my, my friends and, and loved ones who are in the same kind of general area in life. It's kind of this fun point where you're realizing the things I really don't care about and don't need to care about and the things that I I definitely do care about. It kind of filters all those things out. Because when you're 49 years old, you know, there's certain things that, you know, if they haven't happened yet, they're probably not going to, (laughs) right? But I don't know that for sure. If I chose to pursue something, who knows? But there's something about the discernment that comes with experience and with clear choices to continue to learn and to push and to try new things that have been really fun for me. And today's story that I want to tell you is actually a series of ones that will interlock together that uh, kind of came up in some, some different, from some different directions, I should say, over the, over the weekend. 
And uh, let me just tell you where this came from. Uh, yesterday, I started out my, my Easter Sunday uh, with the way I start every Sunday, with a spin class at my gym. It is something that I absolutely love to do uh, every week on this show when I do my thank yous. Uh, usually people will hear the name Bruce, uh, Bruce Bullard in that. Bruce Bullard is my trainer, and he is also my spin class instructor. And uh, I've been working with Bruce for about two years, both in weight training and then doing the spin class. And until just a few months ago, I mean, I, I went and worked with him every week. I would go to spin classes here and there. But it wasn't necessarily the highest priority that I had every week. And so I would move those around. And sometimes I would intend to go to spin class. But 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning can sometimes feel a little earlier. Maybe I want to do something different on a Sunday. But nevertheless, uh, on January 1st of this year, I didn't do this as a resolution. It was more of a choice. I wondered what would happen if I started, just from that point forward, to the best of my ability, started making going to my spin classes and going to my weight training with Bruce non-negotiable. Then instead of making those negotiable and moving other things around, moving those around other things, I would move other things around those. And so I just, well, what could I do? Well, yesterday was the 15th straight Sunday <laughs> that I'd gone to my morning spin class. And yesterday, because it was a holiday, Bruce likes to do, um, instead of a 60-minute spin class, which is hard enough because he's, he's intense, you do a 90-minute one instead. And so yesterday I did a 90-minute one, but I always get in a little bit early and I warm up for about a half hour and I, I gauge the miles that I've got. So by the time we were done with the spin class, uh, it was about two hours on the bike, a little bit more than two hours I'd been on the stationary bike in, in one of those big stationary bike rooms. And uh, I'd ridden 45 miles on this bike. And uh, a lot of it uphill, right? Uh, uphill intervals, you know, just continuing to put that pressure on more and more and more. And averaging about 21 miles an hour for the course of those two hours, which is quite good for me. Amazingly good. In fact, they were personal records for me, all of those. And it was quite a great way to start my weekend. And that got me thinking about today's topic. So to hear about really what the topic is, it's based on that. Why don't you come back after this short break and uh, where you get to hear about this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, and all the great things that they do. And when you come back, we'll have more about the story for the day. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. 
Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. And, of course, thanks to this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, for all that they do for kids to show underserved youth uh, life and career pathway opportunities in aviation and aerospace. Amazing work that they do. Check out airsci.org for the fabulous ways in which that organization helps kids. All right. Well, I was telling the story before the break about my spin class yesterday where uh, 45 miles later um, at about 11 o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday, I was heading down to my parents for uh, for to celebrate uh, Easter and I was already tired. <laughs> and it was but it got me thinking about, wow, OK, I did personal records in, in miles and in average speed. And I have a heart monitor that I wear that attaches to an app on my phone. So I'm able to track in real time as I ride what my heart rate is, uh, what, what, uh, how many calories I'm burning, because you enter in your weight and all that kind of stuff. And that's not exact, but it's close. Entering all those things. And, uh, and then it gives you a percentage, a color-coded percentage of your effort, right? And so in, in a class like that, I usually end up in the yellow zone, which is in the 80th, 80th percentile somewhere from 80% to 89% in effort. And I kind of like there, you hit the red, which is 90 and, and beyond, you're, you're probably pushing things a bit too much. But I stayed in that yellow zone for most of the day and it just worked really well. I had a good night's sleep the night before. I've been, I've been paying better attention over the last couple of years to what I eat and what I don't. And all of that has been fitting together combined with making these gym visits non-negotiable, right? moving things around them essentially, instead of moving those around other things. All that's been working together to really benefit me over these past three, three and a half months. There's reason I'm approaching it this way, and I'm, I'll be talking about it at my website and a few other things a little bit further down the line. But one of the reasons why I'm doing it is I'm, my 50th birthday is coming up in September. And I've, I'm already, with full of gratitude when I say this, I'm already in the best emotional shape I've ever been in in my life. I'm in the best spiritual shape I've ever been in in my life. And I'm on my way to being in my best physical shape that I've ever been in in my life. And that is kind of beyond where a lot of people tend to think, myself included, tend to think our ideal physical health periods tend to be. Usually we think it's when we're younger. And certainly when you look around at the landscape and you see the degree to which uh, professional athletes are held up and focused upon and assessed and talked about and talked to, that that's the apex, that's the peak. And certainly in terms of perhaps the performance of the human body in those, in those circumstances, that's when we are at our optimal best. Right? If it weren't that way, professional sports leagues would have lots of people in their 40s and 50s continuing to play instead of the very rare anomalies that people of those age groups tend to be, except in golf. Right? But nevertheless, that's how we tend to look at it. But it's kind of this fun idea for me that I've taken on is I'd really like to, by the time I turn 50, be able to say I'm in the best physical, emotional, spiritual, financial <laughs> shape, and mission shape, purpose shape in life than I ever have been. There's just something about being able to say that at 50 that sounded like an appealing goal to shoot for. And overall, I'm happy to say I'm headed in that direction in all of those areas. And that's really exciting. But one of the keys to that has been my discovery over the past few years and exploration of what the human body 
in this case, my human body, but the human body in general, is able to accomplish any time and how it actually works. Now, a lot of these things are not, are not new, probably to a lot of listeners, particularly if you've been involved in um, taking care of your physical health for a lot longer than I've been, or if you do it for a living, or if you're involved in, obviously, in medicine. These might all be new things. But in terms of kind of public perception of these things, uh, I tend to think a lot of us take a look at our bodies and we, first of all, see it wanting. We notice its flaws. We are aware of what doesn't work. By the time you are in my age group, maybe earlier, certainly later, you can be aware of the things that don't work as well as they used to or problems that have come up. They could be chronic injuries, chronic illnesses, sudden illnesses. Um, and of course, all the vicissitudes of life can in intervene. If, there's, if you've had an accident, if, there's, if you've had a surgery, if uh, just life circumstances can physically change us. And because physically we change, how we feel about that or how we frame that can affect our emotional sense of self, our spiritual sense of connection with ourselves, with others, with things outside of us, higher powers, whatever we want to call them. And of course, any deficiencies or difficulties in those areas can affect our bodies. If we're emotionally in a struggling place, maybe we're not eating as, as healthy as we could, and that has a direct effect, or we're not getting as much sleep as we could, and that has a direct effect. All those things taken together, uh, I have found and been experiencing these last few years, uh, have a real, real impact on how I'm living my life and as importantly, maybe, the value to which I see the life that I'm living and that I give it. That is something that I think the stories that I have today have more to do with how I came about to that and, and where all this came from. Because I've asked myself, you know, I'm 48, 49 years old as I'm starting to realize this. What took so long? <laughs> And I don't really ask that. It sounds like I might be looking at going, oh, kind of beating myself up for, for not doing these things earlier. And, and I, I do wonder sometimes if I had, had adopted more of, a, um, more of these routines and more of these practices earlier, how things would be. But I, I choose today to not spend a whole lot of time in those places because there's no point. It's more about what can I do now, having learned from the past, uh, what can I do now to better take care of myself? And here's the thing about the body that I am discovering. It is a whole lot more wise and interested in, <laughs> in how I view my life and the choices that I make in my brain than I ever really thought before. Maybe those, some of you listening might have thought this or still think this, that, that really, in the end, what really should run the show in ourselves is our brain. And our brain does run everything, right? So I realize, you know, all our, our motor functions run through there, everything like that. It is the nerve center, right? Everything operates from there. Nevertheless, my point is not that, is that we tend to, we tend to treat our bodies as if it is secondary in importance to whatever we happen to be thinking about. And usually we see this when we're trying to solve a problem or we are going through a crisis or we are going through something difficult that we automatically, it can seem like, try to think our way out of. Come up with a solution. Read some books. Go to some seminars. Take some classes. And not that those things don't have value, because they do, because information can be really, really helpful. 
or we go to a doctor and we, and we get a diagnosis or we get a treatment, we get a, we get a medicine, something like that, that our brains have to figure that out and that our bodies just kind of are along for the ride. Now, part of the side of me that has been growing with this has been my human potential coaching side that you guys have been hearing about the last, uh, well, last handful of months since I became a certified human potential coach. And I talk about it at length in the other podcast that I'm a part of, Breaking Up With Our BS with Tawny Santabria, who's also a human potential coach. And we talk about it quite a bit, that really in the end, the, the thinking space of the mind by itself cannot, cannot take us where we want to go. But instead, that mind integrated with us paying attention to our bodies and not just meaning what we feed it, how well we rest it, how often we exercise it but paying attention to the messages that the body can give us, learning what those are, right? Noticing when there's certain feelings in the body that might indicate some sort of feeling state, learning to identify that. For myself, when I'm feeling uneasy about something, it sits in my stomach. When something is frightening me, I feel it in my shoulder blades and I feel it behind my eyes and my legs get restless. When I feel emotionally vulnerable to something, I sweat and I feel in my forehead and in my cheeks and in my throat this sense of the only way I can describe it is a physical sense of panic coming. Like there's something I need to fight against or something I need to run from. And that's my central nervous system kind of moving, <laughs> moving and grooving, right? That fight, flight, freeze response. And a lot of the coaching that human potential coaching is about and that I'm doing now with clients uh, increasingly and I do with myself is about tapping into that safety system of the central nervous system that can calm us down in those situations, not to necessarily deny those feelings or, you know, if they're sadness, anger, panic, whatever, but to disconnect from the stories that come with that, that usually are the things that lead us to stress ourselves out even more. And so all this taken together is, has me thinking about how all that works. I was having a conversation with someone uh, just over the last few days about, we were sort of wondering, when, when are we really outside of our minds, outside of our heads? Right? And one of the examples that was used was um, riding a roller coaster. You know, when you're riding a roller coaster, you are... <laughs> Not necessarily in your head. You're feeling everything. Your head's a part of it, but you're feeling exhilaration, perhaps some fear, new sensations in the body as the thing goes up and down and around and maybe flips upside down. There's a lot of noise of people screaming. Maybe you're screaming. <laughs> maybe points of you're really loving it and then a point where you really want it to be done. You know, it's kind of this larger, larger metaphor. There were a few other examples we could think of, but the more I've thought about it since then, the more I keep coming back to is I, I don't know if, if the stories about these things need to be about just being all in our heads or just being all out of our heads. But having all those three things integrated, the body, the mind, and the emotions and the spiritual questions that, and things that interact within them. And I don't know if I ever fully understood all this. I know for a fact I didn't understand all this growing up. When I was playing sports, I was one of those kids who liked to play sports. Uh, but as I look back on those stories, I think of those moments, my favorite moments, uh, and then some of my not-so-favorite moments 
in playing sports when I either felt that combination of factors, the mind, body, all of it integrated together, those really stand out, or I didn't, and or I made choices based on a disconnect of all of those things. The two that come up the most um, have to do when I played uh, sports as a kid. I got involved with sports as a kid because all my friends were doing that. And I was a very shy kid living in Hawaii at the time. And uh, I had a few close friends that always seemed to me to be much more freer and looser. I now know they had just as many anxieties as I did. But I enjoyed playing with them. And so I played baseball with them. And I was at a different school than a lot of them. But I could play on the same baseball team with them. And so I really liked the idea when my parents posited to me, how about you go play on these teams? And it was in soccer as well. How about you go play on these teams? That way you can see your friends that you don't get to see in school every day. You can see them on a regular basis. Well, that sounded fantastic to me. And on, along the way, I discovered a love of those two sports in particular, baseball and soccer. And some of my favorite moments where all those things were working together. I still remember the only home run I ever hit in baseball. I, I was in second grade. I hit it to left center field. I got all of it off the metal bat. It was smooth. It was sweet. It made that ping sound. And it jumped off that bat like, you know, I felt like Babe Ruth at the time. And I remember it very clearly because I remember all my teammates yelling. There were two guys on base at first and second. And I remember coming around second and third. The thing had gone over the fence. And I remember my mom standing on the little hillside outside the fences, jumping up and down because she was super happy. And I remember that. Remember that very distinctly. I remember that. And I also remember the first goal I ever scored in soccer uh, was against another friend's team. And, oh, it was a beautiful shot. <laughs> it just came, came perfectly off my foot up into the top right-hand corner, arced over the goalie's head. And for a kid like me who found himself wanting quite a bit and was evaluating himself negatively a lot, those were really big moments where all those things, my mind felt good, my body felt good, emotionally I was excited I got the feedback from my happy teammates you know it was this there was internal validation external validation and it was confidence building in its own way so much so that here I am 40 plus years later not just recounting those stories to you but remembering it so vividly <laughs> the sounds the smells the feels these were clearly big moments Fast forward a few years, moved, having moved from Hawaii, moved to Southern California. I still played soccer. I stopped playing baseball. I'm not sure why I did. But I, I kept playing soccer. And I kept getting better at it. To the, and they kept building my confidence. And I was playing lots of sports at the small uh, Christian school that I went to. I played flag football. I played softball. I did track. And I liked all those things. Uh, but I also played basketball. And then, as now, basketball was a really big deal the school and, and basketball athletes were the ones that tended to get the most attention. And I played on it. I played on the t school team there in seventh and eighth grade and I liked it. And I was part of the starting lineup, which was a big deal. But of course I was playing soccer on the outside as well. And when the time came for me to go to high school, I was, didn't really know I needed to make a choice, but I was going to need to, because when I went off to high school, I was going to go to a big public high school and Basketball season and soccer season were at the same time, unlike when I was in seventh and eighth grade. So I wasn't going to be able to play both of them. And I wanted to play both of them, ideally. But, you know, the fact of the matter was, I was, if you would have asked me at the time, 
if had I been honest with you. I would have said I enjoyed soccer more and I, I seemed to do better at soccer and was more confident with that and was getting more feedback that I was better at soccer than I was playing basketball. And yet, when the time came, <laughs> I chose basketball to play instead of soccer. And while I'm not a big believer in looking back and, and saying what if I would have made a different choice and what would have happened, that is one area that I do ask when I look back. What if I would have played soccer in high school instead of basketball? And I, there's no way to know the answer to that. But what's most important about that, I will talk to you um, more about after we come back from our second break. We'll finish up kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at here and then kind of give you some updates on where I am on some other things. So come on back to This Show Is All About You. See you in a minute. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you talking about the body, the integration of body, mind, spirit, uh, and in this case, looking at it through some, some stories about my athletic life, which is not a distinguished one, <laughs> necessarily, at least in terms of how we normally distinguish that. I was, I was never, a, never a college athlete, never a professional athlete in anything, uh, but I've always considered myself athletic. I enjoy sports. I have since I was a young, since I was a young kid participating in them. And of course it's changed over time. And now as an adult, um, I do, uh, weight training, uh, bicycling, some swimming, some running. Uh, but for the most part, I'm focused on continuing to get my body stronger and healthier and to see the benefits of that physically, emotionally, spiritually for me. It's more of an investigative explorative mode now, rather than something specifically to perform a certain athletic endeavor. I kind of like where I'm at with that. But I left off before the break talking about a choice I made in high school that I look back on quite a bit of whether to play soccer or whether to play basketball. And uh, I had coaches my eighth grade year who were encouraging me, man, when you go to high school, you got to go try out for the team. You've got to do that. You're going to get on there. And these were coaches that I had who had played at the same high school and were playing at college level. So they knew what they were talking about. And it was really, it felt really good to be encouraged by them. Now, in, high in basketball, my middle school coach was one of my favorite people of all time. Mark Klitzing, wherever you are, you're awesome. But he was also very encouraging and said, yes, you should try out. Now, at the same time, I don't think he would have said, yeah, you're, you know, you, you've got the makings of somebody who can make varsity and maybe go on and get a college scholarship. But I wasn't thinking that way. What I was thinking about was really where that disconnect that I think can kind of come up between mind, body, spirit. What I was focused on was what would my image be better served by other people's image of me? Playing basketball or playing soccer? I made it about other people's view of me 
rather than my own view about what I really enjoyed and what really fed me. And I loved playing soccer. I liked going to practice. I liked going to games. I even liked the butterflies that I got before games and soccer games because then I would just throw myself into it. And I was never more confident in myself than when I was on the soccer field. And <laughs> I have friends who still tell me stories of stuff of how confident I was and how much energy I had. I never seemed to run out of energy playing soccer. I really enjoyed that. I played defense and I loved keeping guys from scoring goals. I just loved it. In basketball, I didn't have that same level. The butterflies were different. When I felt butterflies, it was butterflies of like, if I don't perform well, I'm not going to look good. There was an ingredient that I used to make a big deal out of, and that was my, my dad played, uh, played basketball and was really good in high school and in college. And he'll be the first to tell you, it wasn't like he was playing at some big college. He was playing at a seminary, but he was really good. And he'd stayed really good. We'd, we played basketball all through childhood. We would do one-on-one and he would beat me every time. Uh, but he was really good. And there was something about being connected to him by continuing to play basketball that sounded really appealing to me. And, and mind you, he never put that on me. He never said, I would really prefer you to play basketball than soccer. I don't think he cared. He wanted me to do what I really wanted to do. So I don't think I was sharing this with him. And maybe I didn't have the, the language to share it with him. But that part was appealing as well. So in high school, when the time came, I decided to try out for basketball. And I'm amazed that I made it two years <laughs> playing high school basketball because I was miserable for almost from day one. I, I was this skinny, steadily getting taller kid, which meant I wasn't short or quick enough to be a guard, you know, so the ball would get stolen away from me. I also didn't have enough meat on me to bang around inside under the basket with some of the bigger guys, right? So I was this classic tweener, and I didn't have a fabulous outside shot, right? I was okay, but it wasn't fabulous. And so I didn't really fit anywhere in all of this, and I, I didn't end up on the starting lineup at any point. I was usually second or third person off of the bench, and practices were a lot more rigorous than they had been when I was in middle school, and I didn't like it very much. But I kept doing it because I thought the image of me being a basketball player would be something that would give me more value to myself. But really, I was wanting to look good to the people around me. Some of it, classic teenager stuff. I'm in a new place, new people, don't know them, want to look good, want to be accepted. So why not be part of a club of, of select, quote unquote, people? Now, the football players were always bigger in that regard. Okay? But nevertheless... Basketball was higher than soccer, at least in my mind. And so I didn't try out for soccer. And yet, so I made it two years, and then it felt like a job in basketball, and I started getting into other things, um, not all of them great. And I quit basketball after two years. Meanwhile, the guys that were starring on the soccer team and were looking at maybe going on to college to play were guys that, frankly, in retrospect, I absolutely owned when I played against them, <laughs> it still drives me crazy. You can, you can hear it in my voice. I owned them. I played really well against them. And it didn't, I, I mean, I could say I was better than them. I don't think I was. But the important thing was I played as well as they did. And I had, more, I had as much energy. I had as much confidence. But I never stepped on a soccer field in high school. I started playing again in college just on the side and, and things like that. I always loved it. 
but I had moved myself around it and had disconnected from that integrated state okay, without knowing it, right? I don't beat myself up about that. I was a kid. But in retrospect, looking back on it, yep, that's exactly what it was. I got much more up in my head only about how something would look and how that would make me feel and what it would mean for me if I did something that quote unquote looked better. And in the end, it didn't serve me really well at all. And I remembered being very disappointed as time went by, looking back going, man, I really maybe should have played soccer in high school. That doesn't necessarily mean the trajectory of my life would have been any different, right? It might have looked different in details and some locations, but I don't spend a lot of time going there either because there's no way to know what would have happened, what could have happened. And part of being in the now, being connected with my body and being in a spot where I'm in a, steadily learning how to integrate all those things together most of the time, the present is all we've got. But looking back on that, it is clear that that disconnect had an effect on where my life went and how I felt about myself. My confidence was a lot lower. Now, maybe my arrogance <laughs> would have been stronger if I would have played soccer instead. There's no way to know. But nevertheless, the larger point I'm getting at is for someone like me who found enjoyment in sports, and I know a lot of people who did not find enjoyment in sports, talking with someone else who, who called being forced to do sports as a kid an introvert's nightmare, I, I believe that. You know, if kids don't want to play sports, don't make them play sports. <laughs> Help them find something else. Listen to them about what they'd rather do instead. But for me, somebody who really did enjoy that and found connection with other people, found confidence in some of those things, uh, I look back and go, man, it would have been great to f continue to follow that in my life. And in some ways, where I am now with what I'm doing many years later, not doing competitive team sports really anymore. I've had some injuries since then that have precluded things like playing softball and things like that. Where I am now, where my number one challenger is myself, can I get stronger? Can I go a little further? Can, um, can my fitness get a little bit better? And that can look like things like going a bit longer on the bike or developing you know, a little bit of a faster pace over a class lifting a certain weight and then moving on to another one or doing a new exercise and getting better at it. That type of challenge to me is, it feels a lot like soccer when I was a kid used to feel. I was engaged in it, I was excited to do it. I didn't mind sweating my head off. I didn't mind getting super tired doing it. In some ways, I've had a life trajectory that has brought me back, now full circle I guess, or you know, pick your visual and arc from one point to now of rediscovering in a very different format, a different way with different motivations at a different point in life, the same type of integrated experience that I once had as a kid. Then it was with soccer. Today it's with this type of fitness thing. And in part, and also a big part of that is making it a priority. I call them non-negotiable. Obviously they're negotiable in the case of emergencies or illness or that type of thing. I'm not going to like go hell or high water, 
and just do them regardless of circumstances. But nevertheless, to have them a priority and to invest in that is an investment in me, an investment in what I like, whether other people enjoy it or not, doesn't really matter. It matters to me. And it's giving me something. It's, it's showing me more of my capability. It's showing me what my body can still do. I've been very fortunate. My, my health has overall been very good for most of my life. And I haven't had, I've had some injuries, but not a ton. Um, I haven't had major surgeries. I've had a few minor ones. I haven't had so far any major health crisis. I've been very fortunate that way. I seem to have not picked up, <laughs> at least so far, what the genetic predispositions to some illnesses that run in my family. But I do keep a close eye on how to prevent those things, to give myself the best fighting chance of living a healthy life for as long as I have direct control over it. And I'm finding that I enjoy that. I enjoy that process. And I have lots of friends who find these things in different ways. I have one friend who finds this exact same thing in things like tennis and swimming and uh, another, other friends who find it in triathlons still. I have other friends who don't find it in athletics, necessarily athletic endeavors, but might find it in yoga, which has a, an athletic component, but is by definition almost more meditative or just as much meditative as physical. So it doesn't have to be that. I guess the question that I'm wondering for all of you listening is anything like that in the past or that, that you kind of look back on with that kind of ideas, like when did I feel all those things integrated together? Were they things that you pursued and continued? Do they still have a role in your life? Are they, did you stop doing them? And rather than kind of going back and trying to do the same thing again, are there new things you could do that would bring you that same experience? Just wonder about that. And it doesn't really matter, I think, what age you happen to be. If you're in my age group, certainly, I can speak to that and what that might be like. But younger, older, I think all of these things have validity no matter where we are in life because we've had the same companions our entire life, our mind, our bodies, our spirit, unique to us, unique in their experiences internally and externally, responsive to whatever it is that's going on outside of us, what we put into them, how we exercise them. They all respond. They might do so differently. There might be certain things that work, certain things that don't, injuries that might get in the way. But it's just something I've been wondering about, not just since yesterday, but certainly yesterday pointed that out. I was, the rest of the day, <laughs> i got to point out, the rest of my day yesterday, I was tired. <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed Easter with my family, uh, but I was pretty tired. And I slept very well last night. And, you know, I iced both my knees last night before I went to bed. And I took Advil and I took one of those leg stick things that you can run over your muscles like a toothbrush and did all of that to give myself a fighting chance to not be sore this morning. And it actually worked, you know, which is another learning thing. So, you know, kind of blending today's story with where I'm at, I'm at this really interesting point where I am seeing the direct effects, particularly over these last three months of what I'm calling non-negotiable exercise, even though it's just meaning it's a priority, of the benefits it's doing for me. My weight, 
is down. My energy is up. My sleep is better. Uh, my diet is better. I feel more present more often. My, how I'm showing up for the people in my life is improving. I'm less distracted. Um, I have more productivity, but also more times that I take to relax. Um, my own compass of myself seems to be improving or getting better or just more connected to it. I don't know what the right, what right metaphor or phraseology is for it. But I've been spending a lot of time there because it does affect everything else. And that kind of brings it back to us. The body is what we have and how it all works together. The thinking space, the feeling space, the spiritual space, the emotional space is really going to be the combination of things that determines what we're about, how we move about life, and how we make our choices and how we live with them. Whether it's a really great integrated choice or, in retrospect, a disconnected choice. The great thing is, is that we have all the things we need inside of us to continue to grow and to adapt. And so I'm spending time with that this week. And I hope that what I've talked about today, giving you some things to, to think about, to consider, and maybe see what you've got going on that might seem similar. would love to hear about that if you kind of come up with anything. Uh, look me up at wordsbyjdk.com. You can check me out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send me a message there. would love to hear more about it and uh, perhaps talk about it on future episodes. So thanks for joining me for this episode of This Show is All About You. The thank yous, as always, this show is all about you. It's produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master, as always. Thank you, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Be sure to check them out at airsci.org. They are amazing. And the, and the original theme music for this show is all about you is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce and Cindy Bullard, Daryl Sutherland, Dean Cameron, Ann Foster, Justin Park, Stacey Heller, Katie Beck, Eric Crema. Special thanks to Bruce Bullard for yesterday's class. It was a monster, but it was a great one. Thank you for continuing to push me and support me. Thanks also to my folks uh, for home-cooked meal yesterday. It was awesome. I enjoy cooking for myself, but man, I enjoy the days where I don't have to, and it feels great. So always great to be with you as well. And thank you, listeners. I could not do this for you without you. And to send you all off into the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. What composes us does not have to limit us. We grow within it. Chins up, everyone. <laughs>